Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of April 23rd and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Genesis chapter 3, The Great Fall. Genesis chapter 3 is our text this morning. We're going to look at the great fall, and this text in Scripture is one of the great texts of the Bible, and explains so much about our world and about the life that we live in. Um, if the world had such a great beginning as Genesis 1 shows us, then why are we in such a big mess? Well, it's because after the great beginning, there was a great fall, and the great fall ruined everything. But the message today will show us how God is busy working, he's faithful, and he has the power to renew everything that's fallen and to restore it and to make it alive forever. So the great fall happened, and Genesis chapter 3 shows us the details. The Bible says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But when the woman saw that tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sold fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, your curse more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and he, and you, 
He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We live in a fallen world. Everything has been bent and ruined, and that's why we have such trouble with life. That's why we get wore out and so tired so easily, is that everything in this world is against us. It's been ruined by the fall. And uh, it's kind of like we're living in the fun house that, uh, you know, you have at the county fair. I didn't get to go to the fair this year. I don't know, is the fun house, the crazy house, is it still an attraction there? You know, it's that house where you walk in and the floors are tilted and uh, the walls are uneven and everything is distorted, distorted on purpose. And you go and you look at that distortion mirror and your neck is like 15 feet tall. And, and that's a kind of a picture of what the world is like now. Even though we don't see it that way visibly, spiritually, it is bent out of shape. And everything's tilted. And everything is out of, out of kilter. That's why it's so hard for us. That's why we so easily fall into sin and, and get, off, get off track. And we have to understand that. This is the world in which we live. And it all goes back to what happened here in Genesis chapter 3. This was a real historical event. It happened in the beginning of time in which this world and everything in it fell into sin. That's why we have sinful thoughts. That's why it was hard for you to get out of bed this morning and think heavenly thoughts. You come into church. This is why you, you, you get uh, out of sorts with people that you live with and you work with. It's why you can't get along with your co-workers and you fight with your spouse. Kids, this is why you have such trouble obeying the rules. This is why you don't listen to your parents sometimes and you do what you shouldn't do. I'm getting eyes looking at me while I'm saying this. <laughs> I don't know anything that happened recently, but I know what our tendency is. We all have this trouble. Um, this is why we hurt other people, even sometimes when we don't intend to do that. This is why other people hurt us. This is why everything's been out of shape and everything is, is not right. We're, our lives are filled with trouble. This is why Jesus has to come back, because he needs to fix this broken world. And this is why we cannot save ourselves. What is broken, we cannot fix. It's too big for us. We're sinners. We're a part of it. And we cannot save ourselves. Because of the great fall, we have to look to a Savior. We have to be rescued. We have to be made right by a greater power than ourselves. And these verses will show us how a Savior is promised. And He is available for all of us who are broken by sin. Well, I want you to notice the three voices that were heard here at the fall as we think about how our life is affected and how we uh, try to deal with it. There are three voices that were heard here at the fall, and these are the three, three same voices that we deal with every single day of our life. And the first is the voice of Satan. He's the first one that's speaking. Verse 1, he said to the woman, and the scripture says that he, he is the serpent, and this is 
This is Satan. The Bible identifies him as that serpent of old. The last book in the Bible interprets a lot of the first book of the Bible. And a lot that's mentioned in Genesis, you, show, you see it show up in Revelation. And in Revelation chapter two or chapter 20, verse 2, it says that the serpent of old is the devil and Satan. And so that is the serpent that's speaking here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. So we see that the devil communicates, Satan communicates, and he will communicate through a third-party instrument. That's why he inhabited this serpent, this snake, and came to Eve through this creature. He will do the same thing today. He is doing the same thing today. He is speaking and communicating through a third-party instrument. He does it that way so that we won't run from him, so that we'll hang around and we'll listen. And it's interesting that, that Eve here didn't think anything strange about a snake talking to her. There, there are theologians that believe that, bef that before the fall, uh, things were different with creation, and that um, serpents or snakes very likely walked upright. That's indicated by the text here, that he would from here on go on his belly as a curse from the fall. There are some that believe that they flew, that they had wings. You think you're scared of snakes now. But they had wings evidently because there's another scripture that calls them a flying serpent. And evidently they talked. And when you think about it, that's not so far-fetched. I mean, we have, we have talking creatures. We have talking parrots. And we don't think anything about it. We think it's fascinating, that it's cute. And evidently, this serpent, this snake, was a smart creature in God's creation. So much so that, it, that Eve didn't think anything about this snake just walking up to her and having a conversation. But it was Satan speaking through this animated creature. And Satan is still speaking today that way to us. And we need to understand that. He'll come to us, and he'll speak to us through books, through videos, through movies, through dreams, through other people, through animated creatures that are so popular out there today. Parents, you need to understand this. Not every cartoon your kids watch on Saturday morning is healthy for them. And there are creatures out there, animated creatures, that Satan is using, once again, to speak his perversion into this world. He's speaking. And we need to realize that. And we need to reject what he is saying. Because when Satan's speaking, he is speaking contradicting truth. That's the second thing we see here. Not only that he's communicating, but he's contradicting truth. Right out of the, the gate, he says, Has God... Indeed said, there's a rumor in the garden that God said you can't eat of that, that nice little tree over there. I mean, look at it. It's, it's nice fruit. You know, did he really say that? And he began to contradict God's truth because Satan, uh, Eve got it right. She said, no, we're not supposed to eat of it. We're not even supposed to touch it. And that, that's exactly what God had said. But then notice verse 4 Satan contradicts truth. You will not surely die. And then from there, he condemns truth in verse 5. For God knows. God knows something good. He's keeping it from you. 
He's keeping your eyes from being open. He's keeping you from being uh, exalted like Him, knowing and being like Him. God's, why is God holding back on you? See, He began to twist truth. And He began to make truth an evil thing. And that's exactly what Satan's saying out in the world today. He's saying the truth of the Bible, the truth of being preached, the truth that we have stood on for generations, that that's not good. It's not good for us nowadays. Our eyes have been opened now. We, we need to, to embrace the new world. And you need to embrace diversity and all this other stuff that's out there that's ungodly. God's holding back from you by keeping you narrow-minded following this truth of the Bible. That's Satan's message. And he is blaring it loud and clear in this world, in schools, in all kinds of organizations, from governments, because Satan is trying to bury everyone under the load of sin. So there's this voice. How do we respond to this voice? We respond to it like Jesus did, with the Word of God. God had already spoken before Genesis chapter 3. And it was the Word that would have protected them, but uh, they chose to stray from the Word. And uh, when Jesus was tempted, three times he was tempted in the wilderness, and three times he quoted Scripture. And so here's how you reject the voice of Satan, is that you get into God's Word early and often. And you listen to God's word rather than what Satan is saying. And so I believe early in the morning before you turn on the TV, before you look at your phone, before you do anything else to hear the voices all around you, you need to get with God and you need to hear his voice. Because you're walking in a fallen world. And it's a slippery slope. And we're all susceptible. And we need to hear God's voice on a regular basis. There's a second voice that is heard here in the garden, and that is the voice of self. See, as uh, Eve was tempted, there began to be a conversation going on in her head. Verse 6 says, so when the woman saw, so she had this conversation with herself. There, there's that tree. Now, God said that it wasn't to be touched. That means it's not good but I'm looking at it, and it looks good to me. <laughs> you know, she's having this conversation, just her and herself. And she eventually concludes that she needs this tree, that she needs it despite what God has said. So here's her choice. Her choice was between herself and God, between herself and God's Word. And we hear that voice every single day as well. Because we are fallen people in a fallen world, we struggle with ourself. Ourself is, is in many ways our greatest enemy. The person I have most trouble with in my life is the guy I look at in the mirror every morning. Because I know what the right thing is to do, and I know what God has said, but I struggle to do it so often. That's because I have been affected by the fall as well. And we all have. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's 
not a just man on the earth that does good and does not sin. All of us have been affected by the fall, and we all struggle with this inner voice. Every day we, we deal with a voice from without, and every day we deal with a voice from within. And we have a choice to make. And it was also Adam's choice, because the Bible says that she was tempted, but then the next thing she did was she turns around, when she eats of it, and she sins, the first thing she does, she turns around and tempts her husband. And, he, and she gives it to him. Verse 6 says, with, to her husband who was with her. He was there. He was in the garden. He was just standing on the sidelines listening to all of this, and he wasn't stepping up like the man should have done and, and taking a stand and said, no, we're going to follow God's word. But he was sucked in. Why? Because his, the self inside of him also was speaking. Now there was a point here before they actually took the fruit and they actually made the decision when they, they still had a, an opportunity not to sin. Just to, have, just to have yourself saying, hey, I need something beyond me. That's not sin in and of itself. God made us to be dependent creatures. He made us to need the air to breathe, food to eat. He made us to be social creatures. So we need love. We need interaction. We need fellowship with other people. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Adam and Eve were created with dependence upon God. They needed to look outside themselves for, for everything they needed. But where the sin came in is when they chose to look to something else other than God. That's really the core definition of sin. Sin is living independent of God. That's why you don't have to steal and kill and do some great sin to, to need to, to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and, and be saved. All of us are sinners because all of us are, have this, this tendency to want to live apart from God, to do it our own way. And that's why the Bible says whatever is not from faith is sin. Romans 14, verse 23. If you decide to satisfy yourself or to go after a pursuit in life that's other than what God has provided for you, then it may be a good thing. It may be a nice-looking tree you're going after. But the Bible says because you are moving away from dependence upon God, that's sin. And that's the sin that keeps you out of heaven. You don't have to be the thief on the cross that, that committed murder and has been arrested to be condemned to hell. All of us are sinners who have fallen into sin and we all choose every day to put ourselves before God. And that's the sin that keeps us out of heaven. Because heaven's sinless. Everyone in heaven obeys God and depends upon God all the time. Everyone does. And if you were to go there, and even just a little bitty sin, that you just want to do a little bitty thing, it would ruin heaven. That's why Jesus came and he died for our sins. Because he had to. That's why our works are not enough. You can't just pile on a whole lifetime of good works to cover up a few little sins and think that's going to be enough. It's never enough. 
Because that sin, however small it is, it's enough to keep you from God's presence. This is why the moment that they sinned and Adam ate and she ate, the next verse says, the eyes of both of them were open. Yeah, they were open, but they were open all to the wrong things. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together because they began to be ashamed. This is what sin does to us. Sin makes us feel ashamed of ourselves because we've lost something. We've lost our dependence upon God. We've been made to depend upon Him. And when we lose that, we feel shame. We feel empty. And that's what they felt. They not only feel ashamed, but uh, then they were afraid. The first time that they spoke these words, verse 10, I was afraid. And then sin made them turn against each other, and they began to blame one another. And Adam blamed his wife. And the wife blamed the serpent. And the serpent, you know the old joke, he didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> I wonder if I get any laughs from that still. <clears throat> that's what sin does. Sin divides and, it, and then it destroys. It turns everybody on everybody else. That's why sin is, is a poison that will destroy the world. Even though it tastes good, even though it looks good, it's bright and shiny, and for the moment it, it seems fun, it's a poison that, that will destroy everything from the inside out. And God knew this. That's why he said, don't touch that tree. You see, it wasn't the fruit. I don't believe that that fruit, we don't know what that fruit was, and I think that's on purpose, because if it was an apple, all of us more spiritual people, we wouldn't go buy apples. Or if it was an orange, oh, there's the orange, you know. But it really wasn't about the fruit. It was about our dependence upon God. And it doesn't matter if it's an apple or orange or a car or a person or whatever it is. If we go after something else other than God as the source of our life, then that's sin. And that's the forbidden fruit. And so God knew that. He knew what it would do to us. And that's why he was speaking all through this. God's voice is the third voice that's heard here, the voice of the Savior. There was the voice of Satan. There was the voice of self. But in all of that, before that, during that, we find it says, God said, God said, God called. God was there. His voice was going out. He began right away calling out to Adam, verse 9, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. Verse 8 says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. You know, some people, they make sounds when they walk. They whistle or they hum or they make some kind of cheerful noise. Evidently, this is the way God was walking through the garden. He was just happy, humming to himself, whistling maybe. He was coming to fellowship with his people. And they were over there afraid and turning on one another cowering in the darkness. But he still called them. He said, where are you? And then they came, stepped out of the shadows, and he spoke to them. And he didn't stop speaking for the rest of the chapter. And he hadn't stopped speaking today. 
I want you to know that this God who made everything and he watched everything fall into sin, he hadn't given up on us, he is calling everyone to come back to him. He's calling you to come back to him. He wants his people to be restored and to know life and to have life in total dependence upon him because he knows that's how we can live in the most abundant and full way. God's not trying to be a party pooper in our life. I can say that word. He's not trying to rob us from the fun house. He's trying to really give us life in which we can enjoy and not have to apologize for or regret or say, I wish I never would have walked into that room. He wants to bring us back into the garden, the garden of his blessing and eternal life and abundant life so we can live with him forever. That's what his voice is all about today. He is calling unrighteous, ungodly people to come to him. Romans chapter 1 says it very clearly. Says that the ungodly and the unrighteous men, verse 19 of chapter 1 says, they, it has been made known of God because it is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. God's speaking today. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's calling the world to come back to himself. He's calling lost sinners to come to himself. He's calling his redeemed who have fallen into sin again. They haven't lost their salvation, but they've strayed on the wrong path. He's calling them to rededicate them, their life and come back to him, to his fullness. Psalm 19, the, glory, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day into day utter speech. Night into night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there is no language where their voice, his voice, is not heard. God is calling the world. Acts 17 verse 30 says, he's calling the whole world, all men everywhere, to repent and to come back to him. And that means you and me. All of us have to come to the place in our life where we realize that we're sinners and we're lost, we're separated from God. I realized that when I was Eight or nine years old, God began dealing with my heart and speaking to my heart in a church like this, through Sunday school, through children's events, through the sermons. And he began to speak to me and make me aware that, that I was separated from him, even though I was a pretty good kid. I tried to obey the rules, but I couldn't do them all the time. And I tried to obey my parents, but I still got angry with them whenever they told me what to do. And I realized what was wrong was something wrong with me on the inside. I mean, how could I be angry at my sweet angel mother trying to take care of me? But I was because there was something wrong on the inside of me. And I realized it was what I had done. I had sinned against God. I had taken the forbidden fruit. I had become a sinner. And I needed to be saved. And I heard God's voice. I heard him saying that you can come to me. That I have a Savior for you who's been provided. And this is what God is saying here in, in the garden all the way back in the very early days. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is 
called the proto-gospel. It's the very first time that the gospel is presented, and it's presented by God when he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first time the gospel has been shared. And it's amazing, God is talking to Satan when he's sharing it. He's given a word of victory, a word of hope. And Adam and Eve are standing right there and they're hearing it. And there, there's this symbol of a seed that he mentions here. And this, this explains and shows the gospel to them. That there would be someone who comes, there would be a Savior who comes, who would come in a miraculous way. Because biologically, the seed doesn't come through the woman, it comes through the man. And so when he said the seed of the woman, he was saying, this Savior who's coming, he's not going to come like everybody else has come. He's coming apart from sin. He's coming apart from the sin that's passed down from generation to generation. He's going to be a, a sinless Savior. And he's also going to be a powerful Savior who comes to deal with Satan and to deal with all sin. That's what the words mean, that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. And the Savior is going to come out victorious. The, the, the cost for him, there's going to be a sacrifice. His, his heel's going to be bruised. He's going to be inflicted with pain. But in that sacrifice, he's going to deal a death blow a mortal blow to the enemy and to sin. He's going to bruise his head. And so there's a, a sacrifice that is going to be made. There's not only a Savior that's coming, but a Savior who's going to die. And this is clearly pictured through what God says to the, to the people here. Look at verse 21. It says, Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. Where did the tunics of skin come from? Well, it came from an animal that was sacrificed. Who sacrificed the animal? God did. God took a little animal and he killed it. Now, God wasn't trying to be cruel, but sin had come into the world and now he needed to do what was necessary to present the picture that there was a Savior that's coming that was going to die for the sins of the world. You need to believe in him. You need to trust in him. And so a little animal was sacrificed as a picture of the Lamb of God who would come later. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came. And so this picture was presented here of this great Savior not only coming, not only dying, but I want you to notice the last verses of this chapter, the last part of this picture of the Savior coming is a Savior who is willing to receive lost sinners. And it's communicated through this symbol of a sword. These are very interesting verses. These are hard to understand verses. And I've wrestled with these verses for a long time as I've studied the Bible. But I want you to see that this flaming sword that the cherubim wielded right there at the Garden of Eden... <clears throat> As man was driven out of the garden, the Bible says here that the Lord God sent him out of the garden, verse 23, 
to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and he placed cherubim, those are guardian angels, at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That, was, that sword was not there to keep man out, keep man at a distance from God. That's why it's always kind of come across at first reading. It doesn't say the sword was there to keep man from the tree. It said it was there to guard the way to the tree. You see that in the text? It, it was the entrance point now that everyone had to come through that were lost, that needed a sacrifice. Now they had to come through this way where there was a sword so that there always would be a sacrifice. There will always be the shedding of blood. This is the mercy seat that is in the temple, pictured in the temple, with the cherubim there, and they're over the mercy seat where the blood is shed. And this is the picture here that God's giving. He's not trying to keep man out. He had already driven man out of the garden. The sword now was for when man would come back to worship and to fellowship. He would be required to come by the way of an atoning sacrifice. And that sword was there to fall on that sacrifice. Not upon the worshiper, but on the sacrifice. Through God's mercy. There's a great theologian that lived 150 years ago named B.H. Carroll. Great Baptist theologian. A guy much smarter than I am. And, and uh, this, is, this is the commentary that I read where I first saw the, these verses in a new light. And uh, I would ask you to consider that because I think he's right. He said that the sword here in the garden that was placed there was for letting the man into have access to the tree of life. That this was the mercy seat now that God had established for man to come and have fellowship with him. And that is the voice that we hear today, the voice we must respond to. If you want to come to God and he wants you to come to him, you have to come through the atoning sacrifice of his son. You have to come to where the blood was shed. <clears throat> the Bible says the blood was shed. Christ gave himself for our sins at the cross. That's where the blood was shed. And if you'll come to the cross and say, I need that, because I need God. I want God in my life. I am ruined. I am bent out of shape. I am wore out. I want God to take over in my life. I want him to save me. I want him to renew me. You have to come to the foot of the cross where the blood was shed. Because that pays for all your sin. That frees you up that if you'll just have faith and you'll trust that this is true and you'll trust what Jesus did on the cross for you, if you call out to him in that faith and he'll hear you and he'll touch your heart and he'll make you new. Here's what he does. <clears throat> I'm done, but i got to tell you a few more things. Here's what happens when God touches you. When you pray, you call out to him like I did when I was ten and a half years old, all by myself. Nobody else knew what I was doing. I didn't tell anybody, but I, I went in there and I, I did business with God. He was the only one that I believe was hearing and seeing what I was doing at that moment. And when I called out to him and said, Lord, I'm a, a sin, sinner needs to be saved, he and he alone heard me. Because in that moment, my heart changed. 
I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just knew I needed to do it. And I knew that he had promised that he would receive me if I called out to him. But that emptiness and that, just that heaviness that I had on the inside of me, in that moment, that very moment that I called out to him, it lifted and it went away. And I had a peace in my heart that I hadn't had before. And that came from God, the God of life that wants to save us, the voice in the garden that's still the voice in this world that's calling us to himself. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.